0: Alyssa, we we keep covering these hot, important issues. Today, we're talking about incontinence. How big a problem is this in terms of the patients that you see in your office? Do they know they have it?
1: Huge problem, Rachel, and you know, something that spans the decades because we see a lot of young women who have just maybe had childbirth, big babies, instrumented deliveries, or maybe just because, and they are suffering from incontinence. We also have the older population, particularly menopausal women who are, you know, really suffering with uh, overactive bladder and symptoms of incontinence. So this is a big problem and it can really interfere with day-to-day quality of life.
0: You know that's what's so interesting about so many of these conditions it's not just do you have it or do you not have it it's what does it interfere with what does it prevent you from doing you know we hear stories of i can't pick up my grandchildren you know i can't play outside with my kids or i'm afraid to leave the house so the implications of incontinence can be huge
1: Absolutely. Some women uh, avoid sexual intimacy because they're concerned about leaking of urine. Some women are avoiding exercise, particularly going to a gym or uh, some sort of social environment for exercise due to the fear of leakage. So this is a big thing. It also interferes with day-to-day quality of life in your professional life because you're constantly looking for a bathroom, mapping out bathrooms and uh, trying to manage this.
0: So we'll look forward to hearing from Gloria Cold today, who has a unique solution to this.
1: Welcome to the Business of the V. Hello, friends and colleagues. I'm Dr. Alyssa Dweck.
0: And I'm Rachel Braunscherl. Each week, We bring you the most fascinating investors, inventors, entrepreneurs, academics, and healthcare practitioners who are making things happen in women's sexual and reproductive health.
1: If you are a woman, know a woman, have a business, or care about your V health and wellness, fasten your seatbelts and listen in to another informative and inspiring episode. Today, we
0: are so excited to have Gloria Cole, founder and CEO of Elida. I've had the opportunity to know Gloria for a couple of years, and she is doing amazing things um, in Incontinence. Welcome.
2: Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here.
0: Talk about your journey. You you actually had a moment when you knew that you had to create this business based on your personal experience.
2: Yeah, well, um, I did have a... Um, another startup in the urology space. And that's when I really started to hear a lot about incontinence. Um, but it, it was interesting because, the, the, well, the urologists, which were mostly men, um, would just say, oh, I have to deal with all these women with incontinence and peeing on themselves. <laughs> so like, oh, okay, that's interesting. But then it wasn't until I had my three kids. So I had a nine and a half pound girl and then I had 13 pounds of twins. And so, you know, you know, you just start to, you know, cross your legs when you have to sneeze and then, but it does start to get worse. And I, I think it was really when my boys were like two or three years old and I realized that I was avoiding playing soccer with them. I was avoid, you know, avoiding activities, running around with them. And so I started to look into treatments. And what I saw, um, well, of course I did Kegels like everybody starts to do Kegels. Um, And what I saw though was everything was vaginal but everything that was vaginal required you to lock yourself in a bedroom, uh, be flat on your back for 20 minutes. And I just didn't have the time So um, I have a biomedical engineering background. So, you know, my husband and I, we just started to do research, um, saw some great research um, coming out of Brazil, actually, that showed that surface um, electrical stimulation uh, toned the pelvic floor muscles just as well as vaginal electrical stimulation. But it was cumbersome. It required a, a clinician to place these electrodes in the right precise spot. And we figured, man, if we could just make it super simple for women to do by themselves at home, Um, you know, the people, women would just pick it up and actually comply with it.
0: So talk about the product that you created and and where you are now, because it's been a journey. Um, It's also interesting. We've had a couple of folks on who are in um, partnerships with spouses or siblings. Um, But what runs through all of them is this theme that you experienced a problem, didn't see solutions that were good enough. So had the wherewithal to create your own. So talk about the product and how and where it's used and, and what kind of experiences women are having.
2: Yeah, sure. So our product is called Elitone and it is a, um, it's, it's essentially electrical stimulation. Um, but I know that word is scary for some people. So we typically just say stimulation, but, um, You know, it's essentially sending current through the pelvic floor muscles uh, to contract the pelvic floor muscles um, and basically does the Kegel exercises for them. We tell them it does it longer and stronger than they could on their own, but it's essentially it's composed of um, a gel pad and it's super, super thin. Um, It is thinner than a dime, um, super flexible. It does have four conductive areas which are sticky, so it needs to get, stick to your skin, but you just place it where you would a pad. Um, it, it touches the skin, and then it connects to a tiny controller. So it's about the size of a matchbox, um, very discreet, and it's um, you just clip it to your underwear, and then you can get dressed, put on your clothes, walk around the house, whatever you need to do for a 20-minute treatment, um, and then it just turns off by itself. So essentially it's, um, it doesn't take your time. Um, So we say it's non-intrusive both, you know, being non-vaginal as well as non-intrusive on your lifestyle.
1: So it's so great to hear about this. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, I sometimes picture what I'm telling my patients going through one ear and out the other. And if there's one thing that brings that image to mind, it's instructing someone on Kegel exercises. They are incredibly tedious. Uh, They may work. They definitely take an awful lot of, uh, you know, motivation. And they have to be done constantly. So I think this is such an um, amazing option that doesn't require that type of uh, dedication, if you will. But uh, the first thing that comes to my mind, and I'm hoping you're going to answer the way I think you will, is, ouch, doesn't
2: this hurt? So no, it doesn't. It's um, well, the, the gel itself is very um gentle and it is, you know, it can go over hair. I probably about half the women shave, the other half don't need to. It doesn't pull hair. But um, if you used a regular tens machine, which I don't know if um you're used to that, but it sends a direct like 50 hertz current and that would be ouch. That would be painful. And I, I think that is why. Um, maybe this hasn't been applied externally in that area before. So what we do is we use a higher frequency, much higher frequency, so that on the microscopic level, it's like going past that skin barrier. It's just going right through to the muscle, but then it's modulated, um, so it has this overall waveform, so that on a macro level, what the body sees is that for 50 hertz to contract the muscles.
1: Understood. Um, I think this is uh, ingenious. I mean, you know, we've seen all kinds of devices that literally look like they're from medieval times uh, (laughs) that are supposed to be used for uh, urinary incontinence. And of course, and sadly, but I guess good thing it's available, most women uh, seem to turn to pads. They just sort of give up and say, I'm just going to leak and that's what it is and I'm going to deal with it. And, And so be it if that's what they'd like. Do you find that, uh, you know, have you, do you have studies? Do you have, um, you know, information suggesting how long this may take to uh, show improvement? Because, you know, I find that's what people are really looking for. Yeah,
2: so we say our initial treatment is a six-week period. Um, but really, in our clinical studies, we see that women start to see quite a bit of improvement at the four-week mark. And it, it may take longer than six weeks, depending on how, you know, their starting point. It's interesting when we were doing our clinical studies on average, um, women were incontinent for 11 years before they started treatment, um, really long time. And so for those that, you know, take a little longer, um, to get started, it may take longer to get back to the beginning. Um, but you know, I'll, I'll, say a little bit about our clinical studies. So in one of our clinical studies, 95% of women improved. Um, and then the average improvement was 71% in the short six week period. Um, and 75% was statistically significant. So, um, you know, the FDA considers anything over a 50% improvement as statistically significant. So that is really low risk, um, option to try, you know, we, we definitely want women to get treated as opposed to just waiting and, and, you know, and then wait so long that there really is no option except for surgery.
1: No, that's uh, it's, a, it's a huge burden uh, to my population. I mean, you know, you have the typical risk factors, and and I I'm sorry, I don't mean to smile or laugh when you talked about your 13 pound uh, twins or your nine pound <laughs> delivery, but uh, you know, this is this is one of the huge risk factors is an instrumented delivery or really big babies, and um, I, I found it uh, almost humorous that uh, the studies or the uh, information comes out of Brazil since their C-section rate. Is about 95%. So oh. I think uh, it's interesting that it's probably pregnancy in addition to having a vaginal delivery that increase the risk for urinary incontinence, specifically stress incontinence. Does this product have any bearing on what a lot of menopausal women complain of, which is the overactive bladder, where you just have that urge to go and you almost can't make it to the bathroom in time? Yeah.
2: So we are. Ha- um, our- FDA indication is for stress and continence, but we do send out both signals. So we send it, it's uh, four seconds of the stress, two seconds of the urge, and then six seconds of rest. Um, now that Um, That said, we just finished a clinical study on our urge incontinence, and we just presented it at the International Continent Society. So hopefully next year, we will have FDA approval on the urge. You know, we
0: have listeners of all different backgrounds. Just define the difference between urge and stress incontinence.
2: Yeah, sorry about that. I should have started with that. So stress incontinence is when... you have any pressure pushing on the bladder and then the opening is not strong enough. So it's the pelvic floor muscles underneath it, supporting it isn't just not strong enough to keep that opening closed. So that does tend to happen uh, when women are younger um, and it's, you know, you feel it when you have a sneeze or you have to, you're exercising, you jump. Um, You're running, uh, and that's when the stress incontinence happens. Urge incontinence is you just have a sudden urgency to have to rush to the bathroom. Um, It's just, it comes on all of a sudden, and, um, but in all honesty, I I believe most people have a little bit of mixed, because it's just overactive bladder, if you can make it to the bathroom, if you leak on your way to the bathroom, then um, it's probably mixed. I always explain overactive bladder as
1: your bladder is just not really following your brain's instructions, so (laughs) it just sort of squeezes on its own. But this is a complaint that I hear about a lot from uh, my menopausal population, so I could see this being really helpful there. One of the things having worked
0: in incontinence in the past, the visual that always stuck with me or the the concept was this idea of bathroom mapping, that people who are suffering from incontinence would not go to a new place or enter a new environment before they had scoped out where the (laughs) possible bathroom was. Um, And that just brings to mind how much anxiety um, and other things can come along with incontinence. So I'm curious in your clinical study, um, when you're measuring success, are there also lifestyle improvements that you're also measuring?
2: Yeah. So we measure it, um, by a, a very standardized incontinence quality of life questionnaire. Um, and so we, we ask those, I think there are 21 questions that we asked before and then 21 questions that we ask after. And, um, It's fine. I believe the FDA only considers a two-point improvement as great, you know, but we've seen um, 14-point improvements, 20, you know, I know that the points system doesn't matter much to the audience, but um, the the one big thing that is very interesting is no matter where they are on the scale, the worst number is always worry that it will get worse in the future. Um, even though they improved, they're they're worried about the future, and I, I do think that um, they are scared of being that ner- one in the nursing home or the one in the diapers, um, and and so you know, I guess the fear factor plays into it.
1: I was going to say intimacy is also affected, no question. I mean. You know, I see a lot of patients who are concerned about engaging intimately because they don't want to leak urine uh, during that time or they're afraid of mm-hmm. the uh, odor that it might cause.
2: So I can totally appreciate that.
1: Oh, I've, I've heard even like um,
2: a grandmother saying that she didn't want to hug her grandchildren because she was afraid they would smell it on her. So here's today's hot flash. Urinary incontinence
1: is prevalent in approximately one third of women a good portion of whom do not seem care for this. It does increase with age and it's two times more common in women than it is in men.
0: Alyssa, when patients are coming into your office um, talking about incontinence, do they have the language for it? Do they have a name? Are they using other descriptors? How are they communicating? And how long does it generally Take to diagnose? I mean, it seems like a bit of a silly question because you would know when you're leaking.
1: Yeah. So I think this is one area, at least in my neck of the woods, that is still not quite spoken about as freely as it should be, considering how common it is. Um, I think that this is also, you know, the standard complaint that a patient will n- wait until your visit is completely done. And you're literally walking towards the door and you, you know, the standard, I have my hand on the doorknob and, oh, doctor, by the way, I'm having some trouble with urine leakage. And, you know, that's the, um, closing the door and I'm going to be 15 minutes delayed. And that's just the way it has to be. Uh, but listen, this is a very distressing issue. Uh, you know, I, I can totally appreciate what Gloria said about the grandmother who doesn't want to hook her grandchildren because this, the odor and the feeling of aging is really notable uh, with the concern about urinary leakage, and we know that the risk factors include having big, big babies or include maybe having had an instrumented delivery. There are probably genetic factors that have something to do with the strength of the pelvic floor muscles or the tissue that supports all of the uh, uh, pelvic organs. Um, you know, certainly there are little teeny lifestyle things that can be done and Gloria, you could speak to this as well, but you know, eliminate caffeine, which is a bladder irritant, eliminate alcohol, urinate on the clock so your bladder isn't quite as full. Uh, and thankfully we now have loads and loads of female urogynecologists who trained in OBGYN first and then made their specialties, the urologic side of feminine health. So I think that's gonna be a real game changer if it is, a, it is already.
2: Uh, the other thing I was going to add to that was um, losing weight. So heavy women, you know, that's just a lot of weight that the pelvic floor muscles have to support. Um, if, you know, I've, I've heard stories of as soon as they lost weight, then their incontinence went away. Yeah. And they're sort
1: of a benchmark, you know, even if it's just a small amount, like what I gained over the holidays seems to have caused me to leak urine. And if I could just lose the holiday weight and we do see results. So that's a great point.
0: So Gloria, I've seen you, you know, at, since the beginning of this journey, you've won all kinds of prizes, you've raised money. Tell us where you are now, where is the product in its, in its life cycle and where is the company?
2: Yeah, sure. So uh, let's see, it was, it did take a good while, four to five years before we were able to get our FDA clearance. Um, and part of that was, you know, there was no predicate. There was This was something so new that they had to create a whole new category. Um, so then we launched at the end of 2019 um, and we were going to raise a good $8 million at the beginning of 2020. And of course the pandemic hit, um, which in one way served us well because the pelvic floor physical therapists were closed. But on the flip side, um, our funding round fell apart because you know, the lead investor had to, was going to save their money for their, you know, portfolio company. So, um, so it was slower growth than we had expected, but we um, are on the market. We're selling through our website, elitone.com. We're also now on cvs.com. Um, we're, uh, you know, trying to reach the Doctors, I mean, all the conferences were closed for a a while, but um, slowly reaching the doctors. And um, but we've seen steady, slow growth. So we're really excited about that. Um, And we've used that time also to be able to, you know, tweak things here and there um, on the software or, you know, any little things um, that could be improved. We approved. Oh, we came out with a, a mobile app as well. And now um, we know that we're being way outspent by our competitors. So uh, now we're raising the money again and we um, hopefully will uh, close on something early next year.
0: And certainly, you know, in any business, having some traction and momentum helps. So congratulations on um, CVS.com. If I recall, you had found some clever ways to raise money. You had looked at some non-traditional routes to raise money before you went to venture capital. Is is my recollection accurate?
2: Yeah, so um, we um, were very, very fortunate that we were able to fund the entire company almost entirely with federal non-dilutive funding. So we've been able to receive uh, National Science Foundation grants, Department of Defense grants, because we've actually designed the whole mail device as well. And then um, a little bit of NIH money and a little bit of state money. I try to find money wherever I can. So.
0: <laughs> so for people who are listening, when we talk about institutional capital and venture capital and angels, this is a whole nother category. And, you know, it's a it's a it's not an, a better or worse process, nor is it easier. It's just a different path that people Um, should be aware of if their product fits the criteria.
1: Speaking money, what does this cost a consumer who wants to uh, Mm -hmm. engage in this? And um, yeah, because I know a lot of devices are prohibitively costed, you know, for uh, some people.
2: Right, so we um, priced the device, well, we say the starter kit at $399. Um, And some people may think that's expensive, but we also provide monthly payment plans so that it brings it down to $34 a month. And honestly, women spend more than that on pads oftentimes. (laughs) Actually, there was an NIH study that came out that said women on average spend um, $750 a year on pads and extra laundry. Um, And But when you're, you know, getting a little bit at of time, um, you don't realize how much you're really spending, how much your incontinence costs you when you don't get treated. Um, and, but uh, the nice thing is we also have Medicare nat- nationwide approval. So um, for those that have Medicare, it's, you know, paid for pretty much. And then about maybe half the private payers can pay for it.
0: I'm interested in some of the, Amazing life-changing stories that you hear. So, share some of the testimonials that you know when times get tough and you're trying to raise money. That really just rejuvenate you and say, "This is why I'm doing this."
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I think the the a lot of the testimonials that um, mean the most to me are the ones where they're able to get back to doing something that they used to do. Um, so. I mean, well, there's definitely a lot of runners who, you know, have stopped running and then they are able to run again. There was um, a 71-year-old woman who stopped leaving the house entirely. Um, She was just so afraid. And then she just, you know, had a bad accident at a hair salon and her daughter found us. And now she's completely pad free um so incredible stories like that there was another lady who um was rushing to uh, her daughter's uh, softball game f- four hours away and she was late so she couldn't stop and she was so surprised that you know she made it on time she didn't have to stop and then afterwards it wasn't until she you know they went out to dinner and then it wasn't until she got home that she realized Wow, we went dancing. I haven't been dancing in years. I, you know, she wasn't able to go dancing, um, and now she can do those things. So those are the stories where we say, yeah, you know, this is why we do what we do, as we we want women to get back to living active lives.
1: Um, is there like a maintenance program so that you know symptoms don't recur over time, or is it sort of a six weeks or eight weeks and one and done?
2: Well, because we're talking about muscle, um, muscle will require maintenance. You know, if you stop using it, you, you, you do lose the muscle tone. Uh, now, what that looks like for everyone looks different. So we've had uh, postpartum young moms that a year later, they said they're still good. Or for some women, it's just a reminder of what um, Kegel, what the muscle, which muscle it is. And so then after that, they're able to maintain with Kegels um, and then a lot of the older women, they would rather just be on a regular maintenance. So they do it once a week or or, or a few times a month, and that's enough to um, maintain what they gained.
0: Well, what's so amazing, again, about incontinence and the challenge that you've chosen to focus on is, again, how many aspects of a person's life it involves. I mean, you t- I don't think people who uh, don't suffer from incontinence would think, I can't go out to dinner. I can't see my kids. I can't hug them. It really has the the capacity to interfere with a whole lot of regular living. So hats off to you for giving women, uh, giving people obviously a tool to get back to their everyday activities and and get on with their life. So I'm sure you have a lot of testimonials from grateful users.
2: Well, thank you.
0: We wish you continued success and hope this year you'll knock it out of the park at cvs.com and on your website and uh, really at some point, maybe we will even reduce the incidence of incontinence.
2: Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on your show. And I just want to encourage women to get treated sooner rather than later. Don't wait too long. (laughs)
1: 100%. Thank you for saying that. I, I couldn't agree more. Don't forget. Subscribe to our podcast at businessofthev.com for the latest trends and trendsetters in women's health and business.